thought we'd start with a little prayer that we all know. The Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. You restore our soul. You lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Yes, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear nothing and no one. For you are with us, your rod and your staff. They comfort us. You prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. You anoint our heads with oil. Our cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives and we will dwell in your house the house of the Lord the house of our Father forever it works better when you plug it in we're going to look very briefly uh, this morning at John chapter 5 verses 1 to 8. If you'd like to turn to them in your Bible, it's page 1068, and Gina is going to read those verses for us. John chapter 5, verses 1 to 8. The Healing at the Pool. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been there in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he was picked up his mat and walked. To help us in our faith, um, we need, of course, to read the Bible, but there's lots of other things we can read, um, because faith doesn't come easy, my faith isn't easy, I struggle time and time again with lots of things, and I know that full well I need to, to feed, to feed my faith. And so you can get hold of books that are very helpful, and um, we, we uh, Margaret and I like the Queen, uh, we, we've been helped by a man called Eddie Eskew, Eskew, Eskew rather, and uh, he's going to, and David's going to read some comments um, about this passage by this man, Eddie Askew. But before we, we do that, um, let us sing, Lord, I come to you keeping our seats. We'll sing this twice. <coughs> These thoughts are based on the reading, uh, are adapted from a book called Encounters by Eddie Askew. It was a last hope place 
filled with last hope people. Bethesda means house of grace or house of mercy. These were people who had tried everything, who had gone through the misery of illness and pain. Now they said, we've tried everything else. Let's try the waters. Most people believe that when the water in the pool swirled and bubbled, the first person in the water would be cured. But the water was unpredictable. You had to be ready for the next disturbance, and no one knew when that would be. It made Bethesda an aggressive, competitive place. There wasn't much hope for people with serious or chronic illness in those days. There were doctors in Jerusalem, but most were only available if you could pay. Choices were limited. Herbal remedies, poultices, wine and aisle diets. There was also something that many seriously ill people know. The frustration of being helpless. The agenda set by their illness and their carers being unable to decide for themselves what to do or when and where to go. Then, Jesus walks in, quietly, unobtrusively, and unrecognized. That's often the way with, with Jesus. He stands unidentified, unseen, among the disadvantaged and the poor, and comes close to those at the back of the queue. He breaks the rules when they get in the way of compassion. Yet with his coming, one life is about to change dramatically. Perhaps we can imagine the man lying on a worn and dusty mat, his back propped up against a pillar. He's gaunt and thin, muscles wasted and weak, lines of pain etched a picture of misery and despair into his face. His eyes are dull and without expression. We don't know what was wrong with him, perhaps an accident or a birth defect or some other form of paralysis. Whatever it was, he had suffered for 38 years. That is a long time to be ill. He has lost all those years and he's alone. We don't know how he managed to drag himself to Bethesda, but he tells Jesus, I have no one to help me. There's despair in that single comment. Jesus shoulders his way through the gathering and pauses in that moment. Wholeness confronts brokenness. The harmony of Jesus faces the disharmony of the invalid. Jesus comes straight to the point and asks the man, do you want to get well? On the face of it, yes, he would. Perhaps there is anxiety as he hears the question. Life wasn't pleasant, but it was predictable. And after all these years, he has come to terms with his limitations. He knew his place, and to leave it would mean he would have to face the uncertainty of change. It would, it would demand that he take on the responsibility of carving out a new life for himself. Do you want to get well meant are you prepared to change? Could he find the courage to face an unknown future? A much more difficult question to answer, but one that Jesus asks us all. Many would have seen the man as a hopeless case, with no hope for change. 
but not Jesus. He challenges the man to find his real self, the self dominated by sickness and fear. Get on your feet, Jesus says. Jesus wills the man to take part in his own healing. He must want it for himself. Pick up your mat, Jesus tells him. The man gathers strength, picks up his mat and walks. It's a resurrection moment for him. But for many today, Jesus remains unrecognized. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. His power and love are at the heart of the universe and at work in our lives. Often unidentified and unacknowledged, offering healing and wholeness and the promise of new life, the one who made the sick man well can make us whole. Thank you, Jesus. Can we just turn for a very few brief moments to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. Um, One day, a man called Paul, on his missionary journey, called in a place called Corinth. And Corinth was one of the biggest cities in ancient Greece at the time. It prided itself on its intellectual and cultural life. It was a a lively seaport where people, lots and lots of people came and continued to live in the city. But at the other side of all of this, of course, on the other side, I forgot to mention this, it was a very intellectual place. It was a place where Plato and all these deep seekers, deep thinkers of the time met and talked about the world and the problems in the world. So this was one side of Corinth. The other side of Corinth was that it was a very debased, a very dark place. And uh, there was a word called that Corinthiazine, and, and, and people used to use that term to, to someone who lived like a, a Corinthian. And so it was a place that had two sides to it, but the, the real side that Paul saw was that it was a very dark place. So as he walked down the lanes and the streets of Corinth, he saw the splendor, the pride, the intellectualism and so on. But he also saw that this was a very pagan city, a city that needed God. And here is this little man who no wonder he says, he came in fear and in trembling. In fear and trembling because he saw how awful it was. And so we have this little man, I suspect he was a little man, uh, who walks the streets of this awful, evil place. And in a sense, he had very little going for him as a human being. He was no film star. He he wasn't tall, tall, dark and handsome or anything like that. He was anything but... And he says that his human, when he spoke, it was always very simple. He didn't try to be clever, but he just spoke very simply. And even those who were Christians at the time said that he was not very impressive. His letters were very weighty, they said, and very forceful. But when they met Paul, oh, what a letdown. What a letdown. He was just a very unimpressive person. But this little man 
was equipped with the greatest message that this world has ever heard. The message of Jesus Christ, who died upon the cross. And Paul says in verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. And then he goes on to say, The Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so what Paul was saying here was that, by and large, the world had rejected Jesus. The Jews wanted a Messiah, but not a Messiah who would die upon the cross. And the Greeks wanted, didn't, when they heard about Jesus, said, it's just nonsense, it doesn't make sense. It's just nonsense. And so today, in those days, the cross divided, and the cross still divides people. We are here by the mercy of God because our eyes have been opened. And there's lots of people out there whose eyes are closed to the truth about Jesus. That he, as Paul says, is the wisdom and the power of God. When we're going a few moments, we're thinking of the death of our Lord Jesus. There was a sight that, humanly speaking, was symbolic of weakness, of loneliness, of grief, of defeat. And yet God saw in this sight the wonder of love, redeeming love. And so it's true for you and me, isn't it? We're here not because we're better than anybody else, but because God in his mercy has opened our eyes to the truth of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what Paul says is that here is God's power for salvation to those who believe. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. But I love, I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. I don't think I've got time to sing this, are we? Yeah. Are we? <clears throat> okay, well, we'll sing this then. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. For many, it was a symbol of suffering and shame. But when we look at the cross, we know that it's, it's just a wonderful thing. It's God's answer to our need for now and forever. So let us sing this lovely old hymn.